Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. Go Wild has recently partnered with Mountain Tough for a free 30-day workout program designed to get you in shape for turkey season called the Go Wild Challenge. Download Go Wild to sign up and let everyone know in a Go Wild post that you're joining us. Then, each time you do a workout, tag Go Wild and Mountain Tough to hold yourself accountable. Also, Go Wild will be attending the Great American Outdoor Show February 4th through the 12th. If you're in the area, stop by booth 412, meet the guys, and learn all about Go Wild. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. Hey guys and gals, welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast brought to you by Arrowhead Land Company. Here you will be educated, entertained, and equipped to get more out of your outdoor experience. So hold on tight because here we go. What's up, folks? Welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoors Podcast. I am your host, John Hutsmith, as always, and thank you guys for tuning in. It is a wet, nasty evening as I'm recording this, and according to the forecast, it's going to be wet and nasty when y'all listen to this. So I guess that means spring is here, which I'm not too sad about, but uh, yeah, it is wet and nasty, and I know we've been needing the rain, but uh, this is getting a little crazy, so hopefully... Everybody's safe and sound and, you know, not getting water in their house or anything like that. But uh, it appears that we might have a wet spring ahead of us, uh, which that's usually good for wildlife. So that's a good thing. But uh, but yeah, anyway, welcome to the show this week. We are shifting gears just a little bit and I'll explain that in just a second. Uh, But first, I wanted to give you all a quick little update of uh, my weekend. Made it out to the ranch on Saturday and uh, I just had me a grand old time on the old 1971 dozer. Uh, I ran it for, gosh, six or seven hours straight. Um, worked on one, two, three different bedding areas that I've kind of had mapped out. Uh, and so I was up there, I don't know, two weeks ago or something. I was a real quick kind of day trip type thing and did some walking around, some measuring, some scouting type stuff. And uh, found some areas that I'd kind of noticed on the map already and had in mind. Uh, so went and walked them. And, uh, and then during the freeze last week when I was trapped at home, I spent hours on my iPad on Onyx just kind of measuring, looking, uh, planning and stuff. And so Saturday I got out there and I put that plan into action. Uh, dozed out a couple nice future bedding areas. One area I'm really excited about, it's a, a hillside that leads leads down into one of my food plots and there's kind of a creek off to the side. Uh, we, we burned that whole hillside last year, uh, but this area in particular, uh, I'm, I'm basically just really wanting deer to bed there. It just worked out so well with the wind and the food plot and everything. And so I'm giving it a little extra love. And I went in there, uh, cleared a bunch of cedar trees. And the way it worked, it's it's a slope, but it kind of rolls. like It's almost like three or four different little benches, which is I think is just perfect for bedding. Because uh, there's kind of different levels, there's different heights and everything. I left some kind of strips of trees between the levels and the more rocky area that you know the deer wouldn't bed on anyway. Uh, I put a fire line around this one area. It's about an acre and a half. It basically goes all the way from the top down to the bottom, left a little line of cedar trees at the bottom as kind of some screening type stuff. And I think I'm going to burn that area separately, just that little acre and a half 
uh, you know, take out all the cedars I pushed down and stuff, let that native grass and everything grow up. I think that's going to be really, really awesome. Kind of little micro bedding area thing. Uh, and then I also cleared a couple other areas that are kind of on the edge and even one even down in the middle of the canyon I'm always talking about. Uh, you know, it's kind of my, my sanctuary, my big uh, safe place for the deer. I kind of hunt the outsides of it. So cleared some specific areas there. And then my plan in about two weeks, I'm planning to go back up there, is to put a dozer line around that whole canyon. And I have been wanting to burn this area for, I mean, really since we bought the property. But honestly, I've been a little scared. Uh, It's just, there's lots of, you know, dips and turns and and draws and everything. Uh, But, you know, doing the big burn that we did last year, that gave me a lot more confidence. We got this dozer, you know, I can put in a whole... Uh, dozer blade width, uh, fire break all the way around it. I kind of mapped out my trail using some roads and, and draws and stuff like that. So, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, so yeah, that's the plan. Uh, when I go back in about two weeks, uh, that'll end up being about, it's either going to be a 38 acre burn or a 60 ish acre burn, depending on whether I want to also burn the pasture next to it. Um, just haven't decided yet. Uh, trying to figure out kind of, I don't, I don't want to do too much at once, if that makes sense. You know, like I don't want to, I don't want to go in there and just completely wreck an entire area. And so I might do the Canyon this year and then the field and this other draw next year. Um, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, so yeah, so that was fun. Uh, I felt like I was really, you know, finally doing something to really enhance the habitat. Uh, you know, last year was really about kind of getting all my, all my stands and food plots and blinds and stuff kind of situated. This year, I really don't have to do hardly any of that. I don't, I don't, I haven't, like, I don't think I'm going to move any of my blinds. Might move a tree stand or two around or add a tree stand or two. Uh, but this year's really more about habitat. And so I'm, I'm kind of playing the long game. Uh, this year, my goal is going to be kind of, you know, burns, uh, fire breaks, stuff like that, some, some bedding cover. And then uh, I think next year I might uh, might go full out and uh, get some switchgrass, like that type of thing. You know, add in some more thicker stuff. Um, I don't know. We're just going to kind of see what happens. So I'm going to start with fire. You know, may- nature might do its thing and be plenty good enough. And so if that works, great. Um, if it doesn't, you know, I'll spend a little money and, and maybe buy some switchgrass. But uh, yeah, sometime soon I probably need to do kind of a whole, like, ranch update habitat thing but that's not today we got something else in store today we are i think i mentioned at the beginning kind of shifting gears a little bit uh basically i'm having some technical difficulties with my internet connection i called my guest we kind of did all the pre-stuff i was just about to hit record and my internet went out and so uh my my plan this week was to do part three of the what did you learn series like i said i had my guests and everything but we are not able to record that right now, and because of no internet, I'm not re- allowed to, you know, record with anybody else. And so, switching up a little bit, I was actually planning to do this podcast next week, uh, kind of as a, a wrap-up of the What Did You Learn series, but instead, I'm going to do it this week, and then we'll do part three next week with my guests. So, that is still coming. Don't worry. Uh, we're just kind of switching things around, so... So yeah, we'll get into this week a little bit more in just a second. I do have one other announcement. I think I talked about it last week. Uh, I decided not to get a booth this year at the Backwoods Show. I think I'm going to get it again the following year, but just things are just a little crazy in the personal life right now. 
And so not going to get a booth, but I am still planning to go. So I'll be there pretty much all day on Saturday. So be looking for me. Uh, if I've never met you before, come introduce yourself. If I have met you before, come say hi. Um, like I said, I plan to be there most of the day. If you are wanting a hat or a shirt, reach out to me. I can either mail it to you or I can possibly bring it to the show and meet up with you and give it to you there. So, uh, yeah, I still have some some shirts and hats available. And I think that's about it for the intro. So, uh, what are we talking about today? Today, uh, so like I said, the last few weeks we've been doing the What Did You Learn series, talking about this last year and what we've learned and as kind of a closing thoughts type thing, I wanted to, to stretch it out a little bit more. And so I'm going to be talking about basically things that I've learned through my whole hunting career. So I killed my first whitetail 18 years ago now, I believe. And I have obviously learned a lot in the last 18 years. And so I'm going to kind of pick apart. Uh, some of these are going to be more like beginner type stuff. You know, I, you know, I learned a long time ago. Some of these are going to be a little bit more um, advanced tactics type stuff that I've learned in the last couple of years. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be a little bit all over the place, but uh, I've kind of organized them somewhat in order. And so, so yeah, I, hopefully this will be uh, helpful and entertaining for you guys. I hope you're ready for it because that's what we have planned for today. So, so yeah, as usual, I want to thank you guys for listening. It means a whole lot to me. Um, please go out and support all of the partners of this show that we're going to hear from here in just a second uh, because they make the wheels on this baby turn. So thank you guys for your support. I uh, love all you guys. We're going to get into the episode right afterward from our partners, which we're going to do right now. When the nasty winter weather has me trapped inside, one of my favorite activities is to get online and browse the local land listings. If you've been checking out some land, or maybe have a piece you've been wanting to sell to put a little cash in your pocket, give the hardworking agents at Arrowhead Land Company a call. The knowledgeable agents will work hard to either find the parcel that fits your needs, or find the right buyer that fits your parcel. They have agents all over Oklahoma, and are quickly adding more states to their resume every day. So give Arrowhead Land Company a call and let them go to work for you. It may be cold now, but spring is just around the corner and so is the bass spawn. So if you're looking for a quality place to do a little fishing, check out privatewaterfishing.com and browse their extensive list of private lakes ready to be reserved all to yourself. You can search by area, availability, or even fish species you want to target. Many of the lakes even have a boat or watercraft right on site for you to use. It doesn't get much simpler than that. So if you're looking for a one-of-a-kind fishing experience, go to privatewaterfishing.com and sign up for your membership. Postseason can be one of the most important times to be running your trail cameras. Maybe you're trying to see if that shooter buck that eluded you is still alive, or maybe you have a great late-season food source that is pulling in bucks from all over the county. No matter what the case, you should be storing those trail cam pictures in DeerLab. DeerLab can help you keep track of that historical data and use it in the future to bag those bucks who snuck by you last year. DeerLab uses factors such as location, weather, wind, moon, and more to help you pinpoint where that buck is and how he's moving across your property. You can find them at DeerLab.com and don't forget to use my promo code OKLAHOMAOUTDOORS, all one word, for 20% off at checkout. There is truly no place like the great outdoors in Oklahoma. When you're out in the wild, you want your wireless devices to work. Unlike other carriers, Bravado Wireless believes that coverage in rural areas is important so that you stay connected. 
With competitively priced plans and coverage where you need it, the mission of Bravado Wireless is to keep you connected no matter where you are. Visit bravadowireless.com or check them out at one of their retail locations. Bravado Wireless, the power of connection. All right, folks, welcome to the main course of this week's episode. And kind of what I have in mind here is like your stereotypical time machine analogy. You know, if I suddenly had access to a time machine and I could go back in time 18-ish years to when I killed my very first deer, had all the knowledge that I have now and could go back in time and kind of have that from the beginning, you know, what would I tell my 15-year-old self? Or if you're listening to this, you know, maybe you're a new hunter, old hunter, doesn't matter. You know, just think about when you first started hunting and what you wish you knew then that you know now. So that's kind of the emphasis behind this. Um, so yeah, I got, uh, seven or eight things here. I don't know. We'll see how many we get to. And this is just stuff that I've learned over the last 18 years that I think would be helpful for people. Some of it's kind of beginner type stuff. Uh, some of them are a little bit more expert. Some of them are kind of in between. So, uh, I think no matter what your hunting, um, skill level or expertise, whatever you want to call it, I think there will still be something here for you. So, uh, so yeah, again, this is kind of meant to wrap up the, what did you learn series? Um, again, switching, you know, this week and next week, but anyway, I already explained all that. So we're just going to get into it now. So, uh, like I said, going back in time, talking to my 15-year-old self, the first thing I would tell myself is that the wind is everything. And I know I've talked about this a few times on the podcast. I'm going to go back in time. I think I've even told this story on the podcast, but this really hit home with me. When I was about 17, 18 years old, um, I was hunting my grandpa's farm, and uh, I had my one you know ladder stand that I hunted every time I hunted. Uh, I had a feeder that only worked about a quarter of the time. You know, almost every time I went up there, either it was empty or the battery was dead. It was not reliable, but I hunted it because it was my hunting spot. And, uh, but I remember, uh, I think I was hunting, it was like Thanksgiving break. I hadn't hunted in a while and I'm sitting there in my stand and I see these two does coming. It was really like a doe and a fawn, but anyway, two does coming and I see them kind of hit the edge of the opening, and they look directly at my stand and go back into the trees. Uh, I can kind of hear them and see little glimpses of them. They try to come out into the opening again. I, I see her nose goes up in the air. She looks right at my stand, goes back into the woods. She walks down a little further in the cover, tries to come out a third time. Like, she wants to come out into the opening so bad, but she's just she's on to me. Like She knows exactly where I'm at, and she's not coming out. And so, anyway, at that time, I didn't really hunt the wind. Like, I, th- I thought the wind was like a suggestion. I was like, you know, it's, oh, it's best if, you know, the wind is not blowing towards it. But it's not that big a deal, you know. Like, the, you know, deer, still, deer will still come. So, that's kind of how I took it uh, at that time. But, you know, I I had read all the magazines and stuff at the time and, and heard about scent control and heard about the wind and stuff. And so, I was like, you know what, I'm going to try it. So, uh, after I got done hunting... Drove to town, went to Walmart. I bought some baby wipes and I bought my first bottle of uh, like scent killer spray. And so I went back to my little camper and I gave myself a baby bath, baby bath, baby wipe bath. <laughs> that was really hard for me to say. Gave myself a baby wipe bath because uh, you know I'd been camping for a few days, uh, you know, wearing my camo into stores and stuff, sitting around the campfire in it and everything. So I gave myself a, a baby wipe bath, and then I, I started like from my underwear and worked my way out, and I sprayed every single layer with that scent killer. Uh, underwear, base layers, sweats, uh, jacket, everything. 
uh, went back to that same exact spot that evening. And instead of sitting in my stand, uh, I, I went to the downwind side of the feeder and uh, and sat on a little dirt mound, basically, and just sat on the ground. You know, I, I say, you know, I was maybe three feet off the ground on this little dirt pile. So sitting there, just holding my bow across my lap. And sure enough, that evening, those two, that same doe and fawn came out and they came within 12 yards of me. I walked around. The doe or the fawn was like playing and you know, running around in circles and stuff. The doe was eating. Uh, I didn't shoot them, but I easily could have. They had no idea I was there. And so that was like a very, very valuable lesson for me, learning just how important wind and scent control was. And, uh, and I mean, it really it changed my hunting career from then on. Like from then on, Every time I set a stand or went out to hunt, I was like, okay, what's the wind doing? Where do I need to be? And as I got, uh, you know, more advanced as a hunter and learned more and more, it was not only like, okay, where's the feeder and where's the downwind side, but it, it advanced to like, okay, where am I hunting and where are the deer going to come from? Where are the deer going to go to after they pass in front of me? Because it's not just being downwind of a feeder or a food plot or whatever. You have to think of where the deer are going to be at, you know, essentially all times. Where are they going to come from? Where are they going to leave? Because you want to be downwind of them the entire time if possible. So number one thing I would tell myself, the wind is everything. So... Number two, and this honestly came to my mind while I was thinking about that same story, it's have more than one spot. You know, I was just saying I had, you know, I was like in high school uh, and even in the college, I, I didn't, my dad didn't hunt, you know, he didn't have any stands. I was pretty much on my own. I had one ladder stand that I bought at like an end of the year clearance sale at Walmart and I would just move that ladder stand. I'd drug that thing all over the place. Uh, But wherever I hung that stand, that's where I was hunting. Pretty much no matter what the wind was doing, no matter what the deer were doing, like I said, sometimes the feeder would work, sometimes it wouldn't, but that was my stand, and so that's where I hunted. And I I learned over the years, you know, pretty quickly, is that that just doesn't work. You know, those deer get onto you so quick. And I've actually watched deer, you know, as I would hunt that stand, you know, two or three days in a row, you know, the first day I would see the deer come from one direction, the next day, next day the deer would come from the other direction, and then the next deer, the next day, if I saw the deer at all, it would be behind me and, you know, smelling me and stuff. And so those deer learn your stands way quicker than you would think, um, and especially the mature bucks. And so you need to have more than one hunting spot. And, I, and I'm not saying, you know, maybe you are in the same, you are now in the same situation I was in then where you can't afford a whole bunch of stands or blinds. It doesn't have to be a stand or a blind. It can be, you know, hunt on the ground or a ground blind or buy a mobile setup. Whatever it needs to be, just have more than one spot. Don't just hunt the same spot over and over again and expect to be successful. Um, You know, if you hunt, you know, once or twice a year, maybe it's not as big a deal because, you know, you're not hunting enough for the deer to get onto you. But if you're going to hunt several times, you need to have several places you can go. Um, You know, there's one... Two, you know, basically 200 acre chunk on our property that I do most of my hunting on. And I think I have six different stands and blinds in that 200 acre area, um, which is, you know, maybe a lot. I'm sure there's people out there who have more, uh, but it's so that I have options, you know, no matter what the wind's doing or, you know, maybe a deer using one area more or other, a lot of it's more based on the wind though. I just have options for hunting that area so that I'm not stuck in one spot and I can move around. You know, I hunt one area one morning, I hunt another area the the next morning. 
And it just gives me options so that I kind of keep the deer on their toes. They don't know where I'm going to be, and they can't get on to me. So, yeah, number two, have more than one spot. Number three, this one gets a little bit more advanced. Nothing crazy, but a little bit more advanced. Um, but uh, before the hunting public was the hunting public, uh, Zach and Aaron, they worked for uh, Midwest Whitetail. And they were kind of like the public land version of, you know, Bill Winky's show. And, and I, I love Bill Winky. I still do. He, you know, I love the way he hunts and everything. But I learned a lot more from Aaron and Zach because they were doing kind of the public land stuff. You know, it wasn't this nice manicured place, which I didn't have at the time. <clears throat> and uh, so I, I was learning a lot from those guys hunting public land because they were just, they were hunting more on deer movement. And, you know, they didn't have the nice blinds over a cornfield and stuff like that so i really enjoyed those guys and they started a podcast again this is before they were the hunting public uh they started a midwest whitetail podcast and one of the i want to say i don't remember what episode was it was one of the earlier episodes and i'm pretty sure you can no longer find this episode unfortunately because they eventually became the hunting public Um, but it was the first time they had a guy named dan infault on dan infault on and many of you probably recognize that name, aka the Hunting Beast. And he, you know, has blown up in the last couple of years. But they were probably the first podcast he ever did. Um, and you know, I'd never heard of this guy. I'd never heard of the Hunting Beast. Nobody had. Uh, you know, they kind of found him just kind of in the the deep dark cycle of the internet. Uh, he had a, a hunting forum. But anyway, they had him on, and it's kind of when they were getting into the whole buck betting thing that is really part of the reason they're so popular today. Uh, but they were talking to this guy named Dan, and it was just blowing my mind. Well, you know, I mean, it was blowing their mind also. Uh, he was just so confident, and he knew so much about this buck betting stuff. He was very aggressive, but he it, what blew my mind was just how it was so definitive like you know he could look at a map and he could say hey the bucks are gonna bed here they're gonna bed here they're gonna bed here um and he's just done so much research and he's learned from other people and you know he just has so much knowledge and so after i listened to that episode i scoured the internet you know trying to find more of his stuff listen to uh they those guys had him on a couple more times i wish i could find that original recording because they've had him on you know their their new show a bunch but he just it wasn't quite as raw as that first time he was on but anyway i took what i learned from him and i applied to my to my own place and so i went for a walk one day and, uh, you know, I had a topo map and I was kind of following the lines. You know, they talk about the upper one third a lot and, you know, uh, south facing slopes and all this stuff. And uh, I'll never forget is another eye opening moment. Uh, I was pretty close to one of my one of my deer stands. And it was a spot where I was getting pictures of a lot of really good bucks. But when I would hunt it, I wouldn't see anything. And so it was very frustrating to me. I could not figure out why because I was hunting it with the right wind and everything. But anyway, so I was, I was walking around with my, with my topo map and I remember finding this area and I was like, this is exactly what he's talking about. Like this is the area he describes when he's talking about these buck beds and it lined up with, you know, sightings and pictures I had and stuff. And uh, I'll never forget. I remember kind of looking up ahead of me and seeing a little, a little opening. <laughs> I walk up into that opening and I'm standing on the road that I would walk on to go down to my tree stand when I was hunting that spot. 
And again, like a huge, you know, slap in the face, I realized that the reason I wasn't seeing any mature bucks uh, when I was hunting that spot is because I was walking right by them when I was walking to my tree stand and they knew I was there. And so I, I, I moved the stand maybe like 50 yards, you know, not much, moved the stand a little further uh, down the hill. And all I did was I started walking in from a different direction. Instead of coming in from the north, I came in from kind of the southwest and that stand became one of my best stands on that whole property. Um, literally because I just, I understood the bedding aspect and I was able to change my access route to again, hunt the exact same spot. I just changed where I came from and my sightings went through the roof. Um, I, I don't know how many mature bucks I saw there over the years, but it was more than a handful. And the reason I was able to make that change was because I learned how bucks bed and how they use the landscape. Uh, and again, one of those light bulb moments, you know, I still use that knowledge to this day. Uh, I, you know, I talk about the Canyon on our place all the time, but, uh, my, my sanctuary, the bedding area, you know, kind of what makes our place good for hunting. <coughs> and, uh, and part of the reason that area is so good is because it has those, those topo changes. There's the Hills, there's the upper one third and all that. And when I, when I first started hunting that spot, and I'm going to talk about this more next week, you know, I, I would go into the heart of it. You know, I was like, you know, this is the good spot. This is where I want to be. And over the years, I've slowly worked my way further and further out because I'm leaving that good area. I'm leaving that bedding to the deer and I'm hunting the outskirts. And my success, again, has gone through the roof because I'm just kind of letting them have their area. I understand that's where they bed. And I back off, let them have their spot, and I catch them on the outside. So, understanding betting, and I, you know, I could try to teach it, but I'm not that good at it. I would much rather you guys look up, you know, Dan, the hunting beast, the hunting public, whatever, learn from those guys who have way more experience with it. But just, you know, seeking out some kind of knowledge and learning about buck betting will make you a better hunter absolutely every time. So, um, on that same kind of note, I talked about that, uh, you know, how I changed my, uh, how I'd walk to that stand. Entry and exit is key. Uh, I talk about this a lot on this podcast, honestly, probably too much. Um, but I just, I can't tell you guys how important it is. And different setups kind of require different things. You know, if you're hunting like a true timber stand down in the woods, th- thick woods all the way around, you know, sight probably isn't that big of a deal there. It's definitely going to be wind. You know, if you're hunting a trail, obviously you don't want your wind blowing up or down that trail. You don't want it blowing across it. Uh, you know, you want to be walking with your nose to the wind, get in your stand and have the wind in your face in that situation. And same thing for going out. If you're hunting like a food plot, you know, sight might become a big deal because, you know, if you're walking in, whether it's the morning or the evening, there's a good chance that there could be deer in the food plot as you're walking up. So not only do you have to worry about where your wind's blowing, but you have to worry about, can they see you, you know, um, putting a a blind or, you know, stand or whatever on a fence line can be a great thing. If it's like a grown up uh, fence line or, you know, thick trees or whatever, you know, that can kind of help block you. You can plant a screen. Uh, But again, sight and, you know, like I said, you're hopefully going to attract deer, you know, to that food plot you know, almost every time. And so, uh, you know, maybe if you walk, like it's, let's say it's an evening hunt and you walk in early. So there's no, no deer out yet. There's a very good chance that the deer are going to be there though, when you try to walk out. So that's where that sight comes in. You got to worry about not only your scent, but your sight. Ah, man, I'm trying to think of what else, uh, you know, feeder setups, 
kind of the same thing. You got to worry about both. Uh, your scent is is really, really big, uh, really important on a feeder setup because more than likely that's going to be a kind of a high pressure type spot. You know, it's a spot that you're going to want to hunt more than once. And so having really good entry and exit for there, you know, not just sight, uh, not just a smell, but also like I try to, if I'm hunting a, a true feeder setup, I try to walk in in a spot where like the deer just aren't going to be usually in general. Um, you know, like I try to walk across a wide open pasture and set up on a tree and I never go, have to go past that tree. I don't have to go to the feeder or, you know, where the bedding is on the other side of that feeder. I want the deer to come out of the bedding and come to the feeder without ever having to walk across where I come in and out on. And so, and, you know, I've, I've preached entry and exit a lot. Uh, I just, I really think it's important, especially, you know, like I said, especially on like a feeder setup or a food plot, a spot where you're hunting to... Ooh, excuse me, a spot where you're wanting to hunt more than once because those deer are just going to become very conditioned very quickly if you're not careful. You have the right to the best wireless service. Bravado Wireless provides the best mobile wireless, high-speed internet, latest devices, and customer service at prices you feel good about. Bravado Wireless strives to put these values first and offer you the best wireless service available. See what they have to offer at bravadowireless.com or one of their retail locations in eastern Oklahoma. Let Bravado Wireless connect you to your family, friends, and business partners all over the world. Bravado Wireless, the power of connection. Uh, this other tip, this I mean, this is just good for everybody, but this is really kind of a, a beginner thing. So when I started hunting, I killed my first deer with a rifle when I was 15. Uh, that's very year I ended up buying a bow. So I started deer hunting around, or sorry, bow hunting around 16 years old. I did not kill my first deer with a bow until I think I was 23 years old. Um, and it's not because I didn't have opportunity. There were several times I had does in front of me, you know, younger bucks, yearlings, two year olds and stuff. But, uh, you know, a lot of times I'd kind of bow hunt during bow season. Then when rifle season came, I would put the bow down, ended up killing deer with a rifle. And, and I'd killed some pretty good deer with my rifle. And so I didn't want to, I didn't want to lower my standards just because I had a bow. And it, to be completely honest with you, I wish I would have lowered my standards. Um, at least shot some does. You know, maybe I get it. Like maybe you don't want to shoot a two year old. I understand that. But shoot some does. Do, do something because the fact that I, archery hunted for like six years five or six years without killing a deer that's just ridiculous and it was all because of me it was all because of you know i was worried about what people would think i didn't want to show my buddies the small buck that i shot you know i thought i had to kill this great big buck even though even though i never killed one and so i wish i would have just shot deer and i know there's a lot of people preaching that these days and um and again i i I wish i would have just just backed off, you know, uh, like I said, you know, at the very least kill some does, just get a few bow kills under your belt, because especially if you're coming from rifle hunting, it is different. Um, you know, it's challenging. It's hard to get that deer in front of you. It's hard to get that deer in the right position. Uh, there, and there's just so many things when a deer is that close to you, knowing when you can move and when you can't, uh, reading the deer's body language, you know, are they tense? Are they relaxed? Uh, can I get away with a little movement now? Um, you know, are, are they alert? Like, is there a chance they might jump the string? Just all that stuff. You want to get that stuff out of your system and you want to learn with, uh, you know, a buck that's not going to be the, your dream buck because no matter how many, or yeah, no matter how experienced you are, 
if a giant buck comes in front of you, you're going to be shaking. And so you want to at least have a little bit of a background, a little bit of experience, you know, getting drawn, going through the process before you screw up on the biggest buck of your life. So, so yeah, one thing I wish I would have learned when I was younger is to just shoot deer. And that goes for rifle hunting too. You know, if you're a new hunter, you can't be picky. Like you just need to get some experience under your belt. Um, I know there's the big buck craze right now, but if you're new to hunting, man, it's, it's just awesome. <laughs> and, you know, I think my standards have actually kind of lowered as of late, uh, because I've found like, I just really, really like shooting deer. I do. Um, you know, I'm not quite as hardcore of a bow hunter as I used to be. I still, you know, usually try to save one of my tags for, for archery season. Uh, but you know, last year I killed, two deer with a rifle and only one with my bow um you know one in oklahoma and one in texas and then my bow buck in oklahoma um i just really like shooting deer so so yeah don't forget that let's see here this one's going to be kind of the opposite of that this one's maybe for the little bit more experienced hunters you know after you kind of have that learning curve you know you've killed some deer and maybe you're ready to step your game up a little bit you know maybe those yearlings and two-year-old bucks aren't what you're after anymore maybe you're wanting to push yourself you know you're wanting to manage your herd uh one thing that you really need to learn that i was kind of slow at is being able to age deer on the hoof and uh you know trail cameras are great they're great to help you learn um, you know, they're great to be familiar with what bucks are on your property. So kind of ahead of time, you can say, okay, I want to take this buck or not take this buck, but there's always going to be instances where that new buck shows up. The one that you don't have any you know history with no trail camera photos of. And if your goal is to shoot older, bigger, more mature deer, uh, you need to be able to tell pretty quickly, you know, roughly how old that deer is. And I know, you know, a guy that I respect a whole lot, Don Higgins, he always preaches how, it's impossible to judge a wild deer, you know, know its exact age. And, and I get that, you know, I, I don't know if I am quite as hardcore about it as he is, but, but you can very easily, I think personally, I think it's very easy to look at a deer and say, okay, that's a two or a three year old versus, okay, that's a five or a six year old. Like there is, there's just physical differences that you can pick out, uh, the stomach, the neck, the back line, um, you know, just the bulkiness of the, the body. Um, antlers, I don't think are a great, uh, judge of age. I don't think that's, you know, has anything to do with it. Honestly, I've seen very old small bucks. I've seen very young big bucks. It's more about the body. Uh, but yeah, just, just, you know, look up some pictures online, go through your trail cameras. Um, you know, if you have several years worth of history, that's the best way because you can look at one single buck and say, okay, this was him as a yearling or a two year old. This was him as a two or a three year old and watch that progression of his body and just learn to be able, you know, you got, and when I say quick, I don't mean, you know, look at him for five minutes and make a judge when he's standing out there in front of you. You know, I've had several deer where, you know, I had seconds to make a decision. And I think we all have, you know, maybe it's during the rut and they're running through or just coming through a trail. Uh, Maybe they come to check out a feeder, but don't come all the way in. You got to know fairly quickly whether that deer is going to be, you know, a shooter or not. And so, and again, everybody's a little different. You know, if, if four-year-olds are your thing, if you think that's a mature buck, great. You know, learn to be able to identify a four-year-old. Uh, you know, I, for me, I, I, I'm not going to say I'm not going to kill a four-year-old, but I'm really trying to let those bucks get to five and six. Um, and, you know, for me, I think the hardest, I think the hardest ages to judge, which are, and obviously, you know, some of the most important, uh, I'm usually pretty good at being able to say like, okay, that deer's probably a three year old or less. 
um, that four to five year old is really hard. Sometimes the three to four, you know, sometimes you get that that bulky three year old that can fool you into maybe thinking he's four. Uh, sometimes you get that four to five year old where you know he looks pretty mature, but some pictures he looks skinny, and you think he might be four. That's definitely the hardest age to judge, you know, in my hands. But but if you're trying to get those bucks to five plus, I think very very it's very easy to field JoJo's um, if if you have some experience. So study those trail cameras. You know, look up. There's tons of online sources that show bucks throughout the years. You can kind of see that difference. Uh, but you got to be able to judge deer quickly. If you you know are trying to really push the le- push your limits up to that next level of deer, um, because you can't you know Bill Winky's famous line I love it I I heard this line I don't know gosh probably a decade ago and it's always stuck with me uh, it takes five years to grow a five year old buck and so you know if you're shooting those deer to younger age class because they came through in a hurry um, you know you don't want to walk up to that deer and then have the regret because you judged it wrong so so practice practice judging deer. If you're ready to take your, uh, you know, your skill level up a notch. Let's see here. Okay. This one, uh, when I typed this one out, I originally typed it as hunt out of state at least once a year. Um, and, and I was meaning that for whitetail specifically. If you're, you know, if you're listening to this, you're a big time deer hunter and you're trying to learn more about deer. Um, I originally said learn out of state, you know, or go out of state. Like I went to Nebraska last year, this coming year, I'm hoping to go to Iowa, um, but I, I kind of deleted it, and I just what I really mean by this is just hunt outside of your comfort zone, or hunt off. You know, don't just hunt on the one place that you hunt every year that you've hunted your entire life, because you know I've hunted the same place for several years. Uh, you know, our last property we had it for seven years, and I I pretty much had that place figured out. Like you know, I didn't have to do a lot of scouting. Um, I still did. You know, I ran trail cameras and stuff like that. But for the most part, I kind of knew where the big deer on that property were going to be and roughly what time of year even. And so it wasn't that hard for me to, to kill a decent deer every year because I just kind of knew where to be. Um, but when I started, you know, traveling a little bit, I quickly learned that, man, I really did not know that much about real hunting, you know, like finding signs, setting up on sign, reading sign, all that stuff. Um, and so as I've been doing more out of state hunting and, and hunting different places and hunting public, uh, I've grown so much as a deer hunter because I'm just getting out of my comfort zone. And then I'm able to take that knowledge that I'm learning and bring it back to my home farm or my ran- you know, home ranch. There I was saying farm, like a Midwesterner, bring it back to my home ranch, uh, and really, really hone in on the deer in my own place where I have a little bit more control. You know, I can let them get older. I can, you know, feed them and everything like that. Um, and so I don't think you have to go out of state. I, I, that's great. You know, hunt a different terrain. Um, but, you know, if, if you have the opportunity, Oklahoma in itself is so big, has quite a bit of public land, and is so different. Just go to a different portion of the state. You know, whatever corner of the state you live in, go to the opposite uh, corner, you know, or if you're from Oklahoma City right in the center, pick a direction and go. Um, and, and I mean, honestly, like you don't even, if you really, you know, are stuck for time or money or whatever, you don't even have to go to the other side of the state. Just go to a different area, you know, knock on door, get a different, uh, you know, some permission somewhere else, go to a public piece. That's what I've been doing. Uh, the place, the public land that I was hunting this year was like 20 minutes from the place that, uh, you know, all my stands and feeders and blinds and food plots are 20 minutes away, but just going that far and hunting a spot that I'm not familiar with, 
I am learning so much. You know, I'm, I'm finding the rubs. I'm reading the sign. I'm seeing how the deer use the landscape. And it's just, you know, I'm not stuck in my ways. I'm looking at everything with a fresh set of eyes, like a blank canvas. And I'm telling you guys, it is well worth it. Like, you know, even if you don't end up hunting it, still go out there and just pretend like you're going to, you know, scout it like you would look for the deer sign, set up a few trail cameras, you know, like, hunt, you know, it, I get it. Like maybe you have a really, really good private place and you're like, Hey, like I can kill big deer here every year. I don't need to go to public, you know, hunt with a trail camera. Just try to find a good deer because I guarantee you, if you can go to a piece of heavily hunted public and get a daylight picture of a nice buck, you know, you're, you're learning something. You're learning where that deer or why he's there, you know, when he's there, all that stuff. And then you can take that back to your private piece. Like I was just saying, and you're going to learn from it. Um, so yeah, uh, just like I said, you don't have to go out of state if you can, it's great, but mostly I'm just trying to say hunt outside of your comfort zone. Okay. One last one for the day. I think this is probably going to be the last one, but, uh, this one is kind of a newer revelation that I've had that, uh, you know, I wish I could go back and, and tell a younger me is, um, you just need to support hunters in general. Uh, you know, there was a time in my life where I stuck my nose up at, at crossbow hunters and even even rifle hunters for a time, you know, because I was a hardcore bow hunter and, you know, I thought everybody should hunt with a bow and blah, 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 blah. But, man, you know, as you, we're so lucky here in Oklahoma and, and kind of the South in general. But if you look at all the other states, you know, Northeast, Northwest, wherever you want to go, um, hunting rights are very quickly being taken away. And a lot of times it's not because they're saying, okay, you can no longer, you know, hunt this. A lot of times it's because they attack like one single way, you know, like no hunting with dogs or no hunting, uh, at night, you know, no hunting with a rifle. You got to use a bow and all this and this. And just, if we as hunters aren't supporting our other hunters, before you know it, that stuff could be knocking on our door and they could be attacking a certain thing here in Oklahoma or Texas, Arkansas, Kansas, wherever you're listening to this. Um, and so, you know, if it's legal and ethical, support them. And I know some people might argue that some things aren't ethical, even though they are legal. Um, but, you know, as long as it's some good common sense, people are being safe and, you know, taking care of the resource, just support your fellow hunters. Um, again, I don't, whether it's, weapon or style you know maybe you're a ground hunter you don't like people hunting out of blinds whatever it might be again if it's legal and safe support your fellow hunters because oh man you know i i think we're a long way from it but uh, i just can't imagine the day where we here in our state you know if i go to my little corner of oklahoma and all of a sudden someone tells me that i can't you know shoot a deer with a rifle or i can't you know, hunt hogs with dogs, whatever it might be, whatever your, you know, thing is like, just imagine if you can no longer do that. Other people can still enjoy the hunting they enjoy, but you, whatever your thing is, what if you couldn't enjoy that? So, so yeah, if I could go back and listen to, uh, or talk to a younger me, just support your fellow hunters, whatever it is, and try those things. You know, this year I did my very first hunt with a crossbow uh, in Texas at my buddy's place. And uh, unfortunately, I wasn't able to shoot anything, but, you know, I might try it again next year. Um, you know, I really just got into muzzleloader hunting about three years ago, about the time I started this podcast. And honestly, this podcast is kind of the reason I, I started because I know it's just, it's a big 
uh, you know, a lot of people do it. It's a big thing in Oklahoma, and uh, and man, I really realized kind of the benefit of it. I'd normally just bow hunted up until rifle season. I'd sit a few times, you know, for a week or so during rifle, and then I was back to the bow. But I've discovered I really, really enjoy muzzleloader hunting, partially because it's so frustrating to me. Uh, you know, it's a challenge, um, and I, I still have not figured it out. Um, but, I, but I enjoy it. And so, you know, try something new, support your fellow hunters, and that is probably going to do it for this week's podcast. Alrighty, there it is, this week's podcast. Thank you guys for sticking with me when I had the little uh, technical difficulties this week. I promise... Part three will be out next week, even if I have to drive around recorded in person. Uh, so yes, be looking forward to that. We do have part three of the What Did You Learn series next week. Um, yeah, that's about all I have. I uh, hope everybody has a great week. I think it's supposed to be kind of wet and nasty again, but man, I, I'm ready for spring. Basically, as soon as hunting season ends... I'm ready for spring because then it's just wet and cold for no reason. And, uh, you know, I don't even get to kill anything. So, so yeah, looking forward to turkey season, looking forward to do some fishing. Uh, I actually uh, plugged the boat in the other day, got the batteries all charged up, just looking for that opportunity. Uh, the break in the weather slash uh, breaking my wife's schedule so that uh, she can watch the baby for me. Um, so, yeah, I'll keep keep crossing my fingers on that. So, uh, man, as always, thank you everyone who supports this podcast and listens every week. Um, I've had a few awesome uh, listener interactions the last couple weeks, and I really enjoy that. So if you have any questions, random comments, concerns, whatever, feel free to hit me up on social media. Uh, like I said, I love interacting with you guys, and that's probably going to do it. So uh, yeah, thanks again for listening. I hope y'all have a fantastic week ahead of you, and as always, until next week, I will see you guys right back here on the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast. 